0: Roundtable at LeoRoundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And let me go on and give our uh, panel, uh, introduce them to you. If you don't mind, panelists, waiting for the video portion of our show, uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor Ward Mythaler. We also have retired Chief John Newman, retired Corporal David D. Grusta, and most recently retired Andrea Casal. And we also have producer, Will Statzer. So thanks guys for being on the show. Appreciate it. Also a shout out to our sponsors. We have Column Case Management, Extra Duty Solutions, Guardian Alliance Technologies, GunLearn.com, and Viridian Weapon Technologies. Uh, thanks, guys. Also, uh, we're sponsored through uh, Good Talk Radio Syndicated, uh, through the Boss Hog Radio Network. There will be more information about them later. Uh, we have a, a great lineup, guys, and uh, you know we've got our YouTube audiences live with us as well, and they'll be conversing with us. I know uh, Will's on there, and I'm on there as time permits. Um, I know Brett could not make the show this evening, uh, but let's go ahead and start off with our first main story. It's on police and it's titled Too Far In To Quit not far enough to retire. Um, That actually hits a little home with me, uh, but it was written by Dr. Michelle Lilly and Sergeant Sean Curry. Now in August of 2020, and it kind of goes back into the survey uh, that um, Police One did, but they surveyed 1,355 active uh, duty law enforcement officers from across the country to assess uh, for current stress and mental health functioning during the COVID-19 pandemic and also the ongoing civil unrest. And one important pattern that they saw that emerging um, is the in the data, I guess, is the uh, disproportionate level of suffering, and they call it suffering. David, I know you're going to be all over this, but suffering among a subgroup of officers who are in the five to 10-year range into the profession, and it's namely officers who are too far into the job to quit and likely more than a decade away from being able to retire. So the group is comprised approximately of, I guess, 20% of the uh, of the sample. So this. Five to uh, 10 year group was 20% of the sample. Statistical analysis showed that the group uh, was at a significantly higher risk for PTSD and depression than officers who were less than five years or more than 10 into the career. It said, that 54% of the officers in the five to 10 year range, uh, they actually screened positive for PTSD compared to only 47% in the full sample. And also 44% of the groups, that's almost half, uh, they were in the moderate to very severe range for depressive symptoms compared to 29% for the other officers. And 35% officers uh, with over 10 years on the job, you know, were less as well. It said, uh, perhaps most concerning is that the officers in this five to 10 year range reported feeling trapped or hopeless about their job um, more frequently when compared to those in the zero, to four year range. And then it said the disproportionate number of officers in the five to 10 year range of experience reported that recent events have negatively impacted their productivity at work. I don't think that's surprising, but it says that 73% officers in the group reported that recent events have impacted their work productivity at least once a week. Up to daily over the past month, and but when you're comparing to the rest of the group, um, it compares to 63% of those with less than five years of experience and 62% of those with more than 10 years experience. Remember, we we're talking about these guys being up at 73%. So, um, you know, that's the um, the most important data. Just in closing, it says based on the results of the study showing that this group is disproportionately reported feeling trapped or hopeless about their job, uh, is a cause of significant concern as hopelessness. Is a leading predictor of suicide among police officers. So that's what the alarm is about. And now, attorney Ward, I see that you are first in line to talk about this, so I'd love to get your comments.
1: Well, I, I don't have much to say about the article as a whole. I'll leave that to the Leos. But I think I'm calling bull crap on the statistic of 47% of this sample. The entire sample was was screened positive for PTSD. I have trouble believing that. And in fact, the very next article says that 15%, only 15% of officers uh, have symptoms, not that they've been diagnosed, but have symptoms of P- PTSD. So I that's my only comment. I just don't, I'm not buying that.
0: All right, thank you. And Ward's a pretty perceptive guy. So thanks, Ward. David.
2: You know, the the, I don't know about TRAPPED. You know, I, I I know when when we're going through or coming up. Once you hit that five year mark, from my per from my experience, let's put it that way. <clears throat> you've been in the job long enough. I think for most most guys that are street officers, you've been in the job long enough where um, you've you've seen quite a bit, and you've got to know at that point whether this is something that you're gonna continue on with or maybe not, or you better know by then. Put it that way. <clears throat> I know it seems like to be trapped, I, that was the part that kind of confused me. There wasn't enough information for me to say, okay, why do you feel trapped? Do you not have the capacity or the ability to go to another agency? Um, I know a lot of guys that about that, in between that five to 10 year mark, uh, went federal. They went to federal agencies. That's what the feds wanted. They wanted X amount of years of, of uh, experience in a, in a law enforcement position before they, you know would consider you for a federal position be it fbi u.s marshals dea and the like so i'm not so sure about the trap thing Um, that part it didn't really make sense to me unless they just are not looking at their options i i didn't get that that much as far as what ward said about the ptsd i mean do i look normal to you ward come on work with me
0: Uh, now you've intrigued our radio audience, David. Good job. All right, Chief Newman.
2: Yeah, you know, I did the
3: same thing Dave did. Uh, you know, I tried to figure out where it was anecdotally at five years. And I really think at that five or 10-year mark, you're making that commitment. Am I going to be a lifer, right? Am I going to be here for the whole time? Now, you ask any one-year rookie, they're, oh, I'm in it for life. Well, that usually happens until someone smacks them in the face, right? Either with a stick or their fist or whatever. You know, you do a couple of things in your first couple of years, a lot of folks leave. They, they, it's not for them. But at that five-year mark, you're, you're invested. You, you're like, okay, this is what. It's not what I am. It's what I do for a living. I'm going to be here for the long haul. And I think that's where I got the sense of trapped. If I had made the commitment at the five-year mark, honey, I'm in it. I'm going to. You I'm know, telling my wife, I'm going to be a cop for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, what we're seeing across the country happens. You almost you, you've already committed yourself emotionally and mentally to be in the job. And then, you know, suddenly the support and the criticism unfounded as it is comes across and you're questioning, why am I doing this? I do think I agree with Ward. I think the numbers are kind of skewed, but I do, there are some things that we kind of forget here as a group. Like I always watch TV commercials. I look at the dudes in the TV commercials. I'm like, where are the real men nowadays? You know what I mean? Where are those? Where are the brio? Because, you know, they're all wearing the skinny jeans. You look at about 150 pounds soaking wet. They got the hair in a man bun, right? Well, our, our, we have police officers that, you know, that grew up in that same generational. I'm not sure if it's something for them, but when they feel trapped, I'm thinking to myself, those men and women came here saying, you know, I'm going to do a full career here and now. I don't know what to do. Everything has changed. I just don't agree with the PTSD numbers. But I think it is something that everyone should sit up and take notice, especially if you're a recruiter or somebody that works for an agency that's involved with training and recruiting. It's got some decent information in it, whether you agree with the statistics or not.
0: Thanks, Chief. All right, Andrea, you've got about three and a half minutes, so go ahead.
4: Okay. First of all, I'm not normal. So let's just go with that with the you know whole law enforcement thing. Maybe we all have a little bit of PTSD. But my big thing is I think we have to look back to the recruiting and the training. We're hiring people that we didn't used to hire. We're lowering standards. I do believe a little bit more of the five years. They're not quite figuring it out. You don't have a lot of the officers that are going out there that are pro um, work. They're, they're, they don't wanna work hard. Um, and I'm not knocking anybody in particular, but you have a totally different breed now. And I think that we've we've just kind of gotten to a point where they're not as proactive. They're not as, they, they don't see as many calls. I know that we would get a lot of rookies on our squad that hadn't seen a homicide or um, an aggravated assault or a robbery in their training. That's a problem. And I I put that back on the field training officers, but if they're not seeing that in their, you know, in their training, then what are they seeing in their first 5 years? They're going to scare they're going to be scared to go to those calls. They're going to be the last ones to arrive. I don't think it's going to be that they're going to figure it out in year 1, year 2 where the rest of us would have figured it out. I think they're going to figure it out more in year 5, year 6. But I do think that those that get closer to the 10 year mark are the ones that that possibly, you know, for this article would have the ones that feel trapped. I think that, you know, we were very lucky with our agency because we were vested at 10 years. A lot of agencies aren't that lucky and you kind of figure out what am I going to do now if you didn't go federal, if you're still there at 10 years, you know, what what are we going to do with with law enforcement? Like if we get out of law enforcement, what are we going to do next? Where do I go after that? You have your heart set on staying in law enforcement, but right now things are so different. They're, you know, they're they're getting thrown into a lot of things that they may not have expected to see
0: thanks andrea you know when uh when i well actually chief i i I see you going i was just going to add chief and i know we got about a minute and a half but uh you know when i went through a really nasty internal affairs investigation that i think everybody here is familiar with um, I, I know Ward is cause he was my attorney, but, uh, uh, I had 18 years on, not a great feeling because, you know, I want, I needed that 20 years for that, you know, about 20 and out that we had with our pension. Um, but I could have retired, but I would have had the wait. what another, you know, uh, uh, what seven years before I started, you know, getting my pay? You know, yeah, I know Andrea. So uh, anyhow, so not a not a great feeling. But then again, I never wanted to get, you know, forced out and quit if I didn't feel like I did I did anything wrong. You know, why did I want to leave? But uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Chief.
3: Think about you. Know, I, this is probably for Andrea and for Dave. Where we're worried at five years. You're making your reputation in that period, right? People are going to remember who you are from that five. To, hell, it took you two years just to figure out what to do with policies and directives. But that five to 10-year mark, I think about what we were doing, oh, my God. You know, you were making your reputation not just with how hard you work, but with your coworkers, what your niche was in the agency, especially agencies that let you do a variety of different things besides patrol. So that that's really what you were – you know, I remember at that five-year mark, you were, you were getting it. You know, you were digging it. All of a sudden, to have that rug ripped out from underneath you, like law enforcement is today with no support, with criticism. I'm sure we'll look at the McDonald girl video here shortly. I'm sure that really is unnerving for that group between five and 10 years.
0: All right. Thank you, Chief. Hey, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a commercial break, but we will be right back. <laughs> I would like you to check out call case management software for the life cycle of your case. Some of the biggest clients are Chicago PD, New Orleans PD, Texas Department of Insurance, and the Inspector General of Ohio, but their typical agency has only 15 to 30 investigators that are using their software. So why is that? You might ask. Not only is the data easy to enter and the manage, but you can quickly drag and drop any size attachment, including video, into the case. They also have a link analysis module, community policing module, smart reporting, and their mobile force technology lets you do all this from your smartphone, laptop, or even your desktop. They also have a 24 hour help desk that will respond to you with only 30 to 45 seconds. So call in case, they've also launched a NIBRS compliant records management application and for a limited time, you can mention Leo Roundtable, this show, for a free two-year subscription. So from the opening complaint to case closed, let Column manage the life cycle of your case. Visit ColumnCase.com or schedule a free demo by emailing info at ColumnCase.com. <laughs> guys. Hey, we are back at Leo Roundtable. Now, Andrew, our last segment, I know you kind of got cut short, or was it maybe it was Chief John? I can't remember. But anyhow, I know, David, you're ready to talk too. But uh, Andrew, did you want to add something in there?
4: I was just going to say really quickly, I feel like I really um, kind of got a great side of law enforcement. I got to see a lot of um, great guys that were go-getters, worked really hard, a totally different side of law enforcement than I think some other people got to see and that retired out luckily probably at a better time of law enforcement than um, others. But I mean, I worked around some awesome people that weren't afraid to do their job. Um, I really felt like, you know, backup, everything was, I mean, I trusted my backup a lot more than I did towards the end of my career. It's unfortunate to say, but it's just a matter of training. People were more confident. They were in it for the long haul. They, they knew what they wanted to do and we, we all were there for a specific reason. So I feel, like I said, I felt very blessed that I was, I was on both ends Well, I actually felt more blessed at the beginning of my career than I did at the end of my career, but I felt like I got to see both sides of that.
0: Thanks, Andrea. You know, Andrea, we love the hat. The Trump hat is absolutely awesome. I know David had his Biden hat on, but when he saw you with the Trump hat, he just like slithered and put it away and hit it, you know, so.
2: um, (laughs) David? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, Chip, whatever you say. Um, I, I could make another short joke, but I won't. You know, listening to Andrea, John, uh, and even, and, and Ward's input as well, you know, it, it really kind of dawns on you that it's it's really a, a, a group of things that kind of comes together, a group of issues that comes together for these police officers that are having this problem. You know, you talk, Andrea, you talked about a, a different kind of person, a different breed of person that's being hired as, as, in law enforcement now. John talked about, you know, where were you at five years? What were you doing? You were making your reputation. Um, the pay, uh, the, the pensions, all those different types of things, I think, all come together, and they can all be a little bit different depending on what agency you work for and who you are. But in the end, I still believe that that most major agencies have ways for you to improve yourself to the point where you then become marketable to do something else, still in law enforcement, but perhaps somewhere else that's a little bit more friendly, a little bit different, uh, a different place, a, a, a different job. Like I said, we talked about the feds. We talked about other, other agencies that are a little bit better equipped to deal with these situations than some of the ones that we see in the videos all the time. But in the end, if the, the, the guys that are feeling trapped, I think they're not looking. they're not looking around. The guys and girls that may be feeling trapped, I don't think they're looking around or making a plan to say, okay, how am I going to improve my situation or do something to get out of here and do something else, still in law enforcement, but do something different.
0: Good point. I mean, look, the writing's on the wall. We know where the, the pendulum the pendulum is shifting, as John would say, so um, anyhow. But, but Chip,
3: it, Chip, it's not mutually exclusive to law enforcement. If you're in the hospitality sure. business and you open up a restaurant, you're done, right? Look, Look what's going across. And they had no choice. You know, businesses are closing because of the pandemic. So if you emotionally, financially, everything invested in hospitality and could you imagine if you opened up a restaurant last January and come March, they've come in and pretty much closed you. So I, I, you have to be able to pivot. I think to David's point, I think people don't realize how marketable their talents are. They get tunnel vision. They want to be a cop. They want to be in this. They want to be that. And when something happened that's out of their control, it throws them for a loop. I can tell you, on the other end of my career, there were a lot of folks that didn't think they could do anything else, but they realized how marketable it was being a cop for 30 years, and they quickly found employment. But you have to be flexible, and you have to realize some things you don't control, like the general consensus of what law enforcement is today, and you have to be able to deal with that.
0: Good, uh, good good point chief because even now you're in a position where you're hiring a lot of former law enforcement guys i mean correct i mean and and maybe for positions they would not normally have thought you know 10 years ago that they would have you know been doing so good point andrea
4: just to go back to what John and Dave both said, I think a lot of it goes back to and I hate to keep throwing it back out there, but I think a lot of it's the tools that the millennials don't quite have to just make that determination on their own. I think it's one of those things they don't feel strong enough to make that decision. They need somebody else to hold their hand to help them make the decision to either get out of law enforcement or to, you know, go somewhere else, use it for, you know, try try to better themselves. I think that's one thing that, you know, I think we see a difference in how we were all either brought up or, you know, what generation we were in. I think it's, I think it's a vast difference.
0: Thank you, Andrea. All right, guys. Well, if there's no one else here. Let's go ahead and move on to our next one then. And this is an update. Uh, it's on police1.com, uh, written by a guy named Ken uh, Wallentine. Grossly disproportionate force precludes qualified immunity. Now, there's a video associated with this. This is actually something, it's involving a sovereign citizen. We covered it previously on the show. The only one other than myself, present on the show that was here for it, is Ward. Um, uh, Brett and Cody are are off tonight. So Ward, we are relying heavily on you and your memory. And actually I I have a note here saying that, Ward said it looked like murder. I went back and I watched the episode. So, uh, you know, it uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, This guy named Robert Earl Lawrence, he found a dog. This is the, you know, wandering in a Walmart parking lot. Lawrence picked up the dog, took it to the county animal shelter. The shelter attendant asked Lawrence to complete a form, provide identification, he declined. He uh, was talking about he wanted his privacy. Then the attendant told him the shelter would not accept the dog without completion of the form. Lawrence said that he would just leave the dog at the gate. But then Sergeant Woodruff, who was there, overheard Lawrence and followed him out to the parking lot. Noticed his license plate. Asked for his driver's license once he was seated inside of his car, and at uh, that point he declined to provide his DL. They argued. Lawrence's girlfriend started recording the you know this encounter. And after um, the argument ensued, Lawrence gave Sergeant Woodruff his affidavit of identity. He declared it to be a uh, flesh and blood of living man. You know this 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 is the whole sovereign thing that he's you know getting into at this point. Sergeant Woodruff called for backup. She asked Lawrence, do you know how foolish you sound? So, and she uh, made fun of his teeth, saying that you're so smart you got half your teeth in your mouth. Lawrence got out of the car. Sergeant Woodruff told the dispatcher. Lawrence was off his meds. That further agitated him. Then we got Officer Rhodes arriving uh, to assist. Big guy. And after speaking with Sergeant Woodruff, Officer Rhodes told Lawrence to turn around. He was going to put him in handcuffs. And I, I watched the video. The guy was definitely being noncompliant, compliant And um, Lawrence struggled with uh, Sergeant Woodruff, and and there was a tussle, they're running around the car and stuff. And then Officer Rhodes briefly holds Lawrence, our bad guy, against the car, but he escapes. And of course, I told you, running around. So Officer Rhodes fires a taser device at Lawrence. It does not have um, any effect, then grabs Lawrence again and pushes him against the car. And uh Officer Rhodes hands the taser, this is probably his mistake, to Sergeant Woodruff, the female who fired uh, twice in uh, drivestone mode. But guys, look, we'll get right back to this. We'll be right back. We're going to take another commercial break. All right, guys. Hey, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about our YouTube content and, you know, This show is primarily, you know, the video portion, at least anyhow, is on YouTube, so all you have to do is go to YouTube, locate Leo Roundtable, the name of our show, uh, subscribe to the channel, make sure that you have your alerts turned on, and you'll get email notices whenever we do our live shows, which is on Monday evening, 7 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. Now, you'll also get the, these notices. They have a link where you can converse with us like a lot of our YouTube audience is doing right now. I know uh, producer Will is on there. You know, I'm on there. Uh, there may be a couple other guys on there conversing as well. So it makes for a, a really a a great experience. And then we upload segments of our show with the videos attached, you know, Tuesday through Saturday. So and that makes also for a great experience. So um, please try that out. Now back on Leo Roundtable, back on this, you know, running around the car with a taser. And so the backup officer gives to the female sergeant uh, the taser. She drives this guy a couple times in the stomach. He recoils. Uh, he is not incapacitated. And so then our bad guy grabs the taser. Now they kind of, you can speculate all you want about whether he's going to just trying to push it away, want to control it, use it against the officers, whatever. But there's really no indication. We can't tell. So a third officer grabs for the device to pull it away. Sergeant Woodruff draws her firearm. You, you're not even, if you're not even looking for it, you're not going to no, notice what she does. And she puts it against his, uh, you know, his um, maybe a little bit lower than the chest. Uh, and uh, she uh, she shoots him. It says she actually shot him three times. Now she explained that she shot him because she feared that he might be taking control of the taser and use it against Officer Rhodes and leaving only two officers to deal with him. The court noted that Sergeant Woodruff was unable to explain why she believed the taser device would incapacitate Officer Rhodes. And then, you know, especially because the drive stuns uh, were not effective on him. She also was unable to explain why she could not have waited to see whether he actually successfully ended up controlling the taser and why there was no time for a warning or the step back. The court observed, quote, one thing that is indisputable is that Sergeant Woodruff acted suddenly and without warning so much that both the officers were startled by the shot and they did not know where it came from, unquote. So the court held that Sergeant Woodruff was not entitled to to qualified immunity and a reasonable jury could find her force was unreasonable and the court also concluded that Sergeant Woodruff's force lies so obviously at the very core of what the Fourth Amendment prohibits that the unlawfulness of the conduct was readily apparent. Simply put, the grossly disproportionate force used in this case was clearly established as a constitutional violation because no reasonable officer could have believed that the Sergeant Woodruff's actions were legal. And uh, they recommend that officers reading this, you know, here in this case, slow down, step back, and consider the alternative. So, anyhow, all that said, Attorney Ward, the guy that actually barely predicted this outcome, uh, love to hear your comments.
1: Um, first of all, I'll note that this sovereign, sovereign citizen, former sovereign citizen, someone who doesn't recognize the jurisdiction of anything in the United States over him, his estate is happy to invoke the jurisdiction of the courts to try to obtain money uh, for the estate. This is a a very interesting case in light of all the things we've discussed on this show. Uh, First of all, procedurally, let me tell you how these cases work so you're not confused. Generally, when we see cases, they come to us after a motion before trial has been decided. And what that means is, is that the court is required to take the facts most favorable to the to the person uh, resisting the motion, usually the plaintiff. So if the defendant came forward with 12 bishops saying that there was nothing, nothing bad happened, the court has to disregard that uh, if the plaintiff says, oh no, something bad did happen at that point in the case. Uh, this can be overcome by video, which we've seen in this video, in the video in this case, the court determined was inconclusive and the jury could look at it two different ways. So the facts that the judge, the judges looked at here was was the fact that there was no felony here. Uh, at worst, there was uh, he was driving without a license and that's not even clear, which is only a $100 fine. There was no flight involved, except to run around the car a couple times. There was no, he resisted being handcuffed, but he did it without violence. At the time the incident, the shooting occurred. He was being held by a man 75 pounds heavier than he was. He had been tased twice. Um, the court took as a matter of fact, for purposes of this motion, and uh, uh, that, that the victim here was not grabbing and did not obtain control of the taser. He was simply trying to push it away to be, um, to avoid being tased a third time because this is an interpretation that could be given by the jury based on the evidence uh, that could be presented on behalf of the uh, the plaintiff here. So totally contrary to what the article we saw many, many months ago that said that the victim grabbed and took control of the taser, the facts here, as as interpreted by the judge, as a play by the judge, is that he did not. And then I think what particularly upset the court was that uh, uh, they found, at least for the purposes of this motion, that she let go of the taser and, within three seconds, pulled her gun and shot the guy without warning. I think this is what bothered me when we first saw we first saw this. Um, and it's interesting, as, as Chip has pointed out, there was really no case law uh, suggesting this was a a, a clearly established uh, violation, uh, but the court said it was so obvious that it was it didn't have to they didn't have to look at uh, case law. Now this doesn't mean that the officer necessarily loses because the jury may believe that the guy was in control of the taser based on the the evidence that it hears. Um, In this connection, one of the interesting things that the court talked about or hinted at was that even if the guy uh, took control of the taser, it wasn't clear that it was a justified shooting because two officers were fighting with them, a third officer could have stepped back and at least given a warning before she, before she uh, 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 shot. One final thing, uh, something I've mentioned over and over again, uh, there was also a state law claim for assault and battery. In Alabama, they also have an immunity statute for police officers that's similar to the federal one but it also provides that an officer in Alabama loses his immunity if he acts in bad faith or willfully or maliciously. And I'll tell you what, if I were the attorney opposing this officer, one of my exhibits showing bad faith would be her, her derogatory comments about him that he was missing half the teeth in his mouth. It's sort of similar to officers calling, using the MF word when addressing, uh, when addressing uh, other people. Don't do it. I've always said don't do it because it might hurt you in court. But also if you wanna be treated as a professional, pay like a professional, you need to act like one. You can't let some idiot like this get under your skin so you say say things that will come back to bite you.
0: Wow, hard to argue with Ward, thank you. Anybody else on this one? Yeah, it took a while, but it, it did circle back around. We get a thumbs up from uh, Chief Newman. So, uh, David, go ahead.
2: <coughs> you know, it, it, I, I watched beginning of the video, I didn't watch the whole thing, you know, having not, not been in part of the, the first uh, talk about it. But it, again, it, it, to Ward's point, it's, it's one of those situations where, and we the reason I bring this up is because Ward had questioned prior uh, incidents where a police officer pulls over someone for a bicycle violation. You know, they, they see a bicycle violation, they pull this person over and then it turns into something else. But even in this case, to refer back to that type of a scenario, it's one of those things where you kind of go, you know, the guy's trying to drop a dog off that he found in the Walmart parking lot at the Humane Society or the, the animal control shelter or something like that. And this is the direction that it goes. Uh, you know, I, I get the policy that, oh, we, need, we want your information, you know, if you're dropping a dog off to prove that it's not yours or an affidavit that, that says the dog is not yours or whatever, but really? I mean, this is the direction that it goes for a, for a stray dog that the guy's dropping off at a at an animal shelter. I got like Ward said, I with all the taunts and everything else that went into it, I really got to question the mindset of this sergeant that started all this mess, and then unfortunately finished it uh, the way she did. Uh, it's just it was one of those things that you look at, even I kind of go, man, that was like so avoidable it was it was ridiculous um the whole thing from start to finish and now with the qualified immunity being rolled into it or denied is just one gigantic unfortunate incident that uh should have been avoided with anybody as they say just really step back just for a dog just be nice you
0: know david um what a lot of people may not really realize is that this particular video, this the show that we previously did on this, we've gotten a, just a ton of hits and a ton of comments uh, from the public. and there's i must I must admit that there's a a a respectable representation from the sovereign citizen movement that has been commenting on on the the video when we covered it, you know, previously. Um so, So, that said, uh, I know a lot of people are going to be watching our review of what the court said. Another thing I just want to point out is that, and I can't remember if Ward just explained this or not, but a lot of people, you know, they may not, you know, exactly understand what having that qualified immunity removed uh, means. But of course, it means that the officer is susceptible to being sued civilly. And uh, that's just susceptible. He hasn't you know been successfully sued yet but that door is now open he doesn't have protection from that by the court so um you've got well, around I'm,
2: I'm not i'm not in any way shape or form and like ward said we don't have any there's no love, love loss for the the idiot sovereign citizen uh, bs that they that they like to sling around i, I don't care about that that wasn't part of the, the 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 narrative as far as i was concerned he the guy was an idiot so what whatever move on but as far as even going out there and making contact with him There was really no reason for it i mean there there just wasn't there there was no violation of any law that a police officer should have felt oh I, i gotta go out here and get this guy's id because we need his id so he can drop this dog off yeah no not really who cares i mean it's just not that important of a thing
0: all right well thank you david guys it's time for another commercial break we will be right back All right guys. Hey, I want to talk to you about something that's affecting our law enforcement agencies nationwide right now. Our country's crying out for accountability around who we hire to serve and protect them. I've had a front row seat and not only seen but also in experiencing the flaws in vetting and hiring law enforcement officers. It doesn't have to be this way and our friends at Guardian Alliance Technologies, they have the solution. Guardian has developed the CJIS-compliant background investigation software platform that helps you uncover potentially problematic applicants in record time while helping to ensure that you have the best quality officers serving. No upfront fees, no training fees, installation costs, long-term contracts, or commitment. So I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. And uh, guys, you know, uh, previously we've been talking about you know that Amplify the 99. It's Amplifythe99.com, and that happened back on October the 5th at the uh, Ford Idaho Center in Napa, Idaho. So hopefully that thing went well, and I'll I'd love to get some uh, feedback, you know, from our sponsor to uh, to find out how that went with Guardian, because I know that they were a major player in that. So time to get back to the uh, to the nuts and bolts. So um, let's uh, let's go ahead and go back to our content, guys. Welcome back to Leo Roundtable. You know, John, I love playing that music because uh, you know, the, the bobbin of your head during, I know David, David doesn't like it. John likes the music. John's got better taste in music than David Degrest, apparently. So I'm getting a note from John. Okay. At least the radio listeners can't see that. So if there's uh nobody else on the, on the last topic, let's go to our uh, video here. And this is on LeoAffairs.com. I really couldn't find it anywhere else. Now, woman, into Chicago police cars and she actually hurts three officers. Pretty wild video, I am surprised I didn't see it on other outlets. And we've got two of these similar videos. Now Chicago police officers, they had a man stopped in the Fernwood neighborhood, and this happened on a Wednesday morning. Woman pulls up, she demands that the officers let the guy go because uh, they uh, pulled over somebody that she actually knew. The woman reportedly began ramming police squad cars with her 2020 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. Now that's probably the worst part about this, David. I mean, I drive a Jeep. I, I don't drive one of those little Rubicons, but that 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 hurts. And she's attacking uh these officers and this th- these actions left three guys hurt. So the officers were injured after the driver slowed near the traffic stop of a 2019 Kia sedan, another small car, imploring officers to let the guy go. So the officers responded by telling the woman uh, who was driving the Jeep Wrangler to leave the area because she was obstructing traffic. Makes perfect sense to me. So what she do, she drives her 2020 Wrangler into a police squad car, side it, and then she attempts to run over an officer, of course. Now the female driver then made a U-turn in the middle of the street, and struck another police car from which an officer was getting out of. And you can see she clearly rocks his world, sends him to the ground. In fact, a couple other officers have to go get him off the ground and get him out of there. So three officers were treated at area hospitals for injuries, not considered life-threatening. Three uh, squad cars were damaged. Now Dawn Moore, 30 years old, she was arrested, charged with aggravated assault of a peace officer aggravated battery of a, of a peace officer, and criminal damage to property. She's lucky that's all she's got, because, you know, covering all these videos every week, guys, you guys know as well as I do, there are cops in jurisdictions that would have shot her butt, and she wouldn't have made it out of the car alive. And and I don't know that it, it, it would not have been justified. Uh, so, um, David.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, at first, I, I had to give it to the Chicago PD guys. They were showing incredible restraint, even when she was damaging their, their, their police cars. But for the most part, they were just kind of sidestepping it and, and watching her drive around in circles and yell and scream out the window and so on and so forth. But then when she but the, the, the moment that I thought, OK, it's over, she rammed uh, the back of the police car, which ejected the officer out of the doorway and onto the ground. And that officer, even though the video is from a distance, you couldn't really see uh, who the officer was or what the circumstance, you just could see a body fall to the ground by the car and not move. Other officers rush over, but at that point, she had backed her Jeep up and she no longer moved the car, which I think is the only thing that saved her life. Because at that moment in time, you've got an officer down on the ground, you've got two officers there trying to get that other officer out of the way. If she had moved forward at that point, With that Jeep at all, um, I think it would have been time to empty magazines into the windshield of that Jeep uh, because at that point now, you can't get out of the way. There's no way, we have an officer down on the ground. We cannot get that officer out of the way fast enough without getting run over by this woman in this car. So she saved her own life by not moving at that point. But once they got the officer out of the way, she started the shenanigans again. But all in all, massive restraint on the part of the, the Chicago cops. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, but she went to jail later. So in the end, hopefully the cops weren't hurt that bad.
0: Thanks, Corporal. Chief Newman. You
2: know, I agree,
3: Dave. You know, Prior to her smack in the back of the patrol car, it's property damage, right? You know, nothing looks like it was, I'm going to run you over. I think there was that light bulb one. there was an epiphany when she smacks, and that officer dumps out of the car, where you're like a rut row, you know what I mean. And I hope, you know, I, I hope that was the case because I couldn't agree more. There were several times I'm like, okay, why are we not doing something more? But once the, you know she impacted the car, the officer fell out. You can tell he's injured, she's injured. It had the the whole event had a different tone. So I agree with you 100%.
0: Now let me ask you something, Chief. From an agency standpoint, if now she she got away, I mean she and they caught her later on, but you know she she did get away. Do you see a lie from a liability issue because they didn't take her out, and and she? Uh, do, you, do you see an issue with that if if she would have left and killed somebody else in a in, a, in another incident?
3: No, I mean because one, they're going to have to render aid to the officer. I mean. You know, Ward will tell you, anybody can get sued for anything. And if she had done something horrible and plowed into a family of four going to a restaurant when she fled that scene, yeah, someone's going to try to make the stretch while law enforcement needed to do something more. Yeah, but I think that's kind of thin. I think the officers, you know, dealt with great restraint. They know who she is. Uh, They had got called to the House, and they're going to go ahead and render aid to their officer. Um, I'm not going to what if that. I don't think there's a lot there that maybe Ward can answer to that.
0: All right. Thank you, Chief. Appreciate it. All right, guys, if there's no one else, we'll move on to our next one. I know we got another uh, main story title coming up here. So this is on police1.com, a letter to the American public debunking four myths about police officers. And uh, you know, I- I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but here, let me just cut to the chase on this thing. The first one, what does an average American see as the role of police? 29% Uh, say that police are more enforcers than protectors. 31%, so a little less than a third of uh, police officers view themselves as more protectors than enforcers. And 62% of the officers and 53% of the public uh, see police as both. Now, does the size of the police force need the change? That's the second one. 34% of the public says they want larger police forces or presence, and 86% of the cops say that they don't have enough personnel. Number three, do citizens understand the challenges police face? 83% 83% of the public says that they understand the risk and challenges police officers face on the job very well or somewhat well. Now, just because they think they do, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. Personally, I just can't put, you know, how do they really know? And then it says just 14% of police officers agree with that. So uh, what the public should know about police officers, uh, the number one myth, uh, cops can turn off the adrenaline at the end of a shift. Law enforcement is a 24-7 career threat assessment and focusing on potential negative consequences are not something that is easy to shut down. Officers need to develop emotional detachment to be effective at their jobs. Seeing a dead body or gruesome injuries, according to the article, requires a certain amount of uh, necessary mental distancing, but it doesn't always translate well in your home life or when you're outside of police work. Uh, Myth number two, training prepares police for even the hardest parts of the job. The article says that knowing that there will be a psychological strain and first experiencing that stress is less, I'm sorry, they're they're two different things. Nothing but going through certain situations like a homicide, witnessing homelessness, or encountering malnourished children uh, can adequately prepare an officer for what the job often entails. Uh, Number three, the fifth myth is that police are arrogant. Now I know everybody watching the show on video is immediately looking at David on our, you know, on their screen. But before you you get too mean on David, uh, there are exceptions to any rule. Generally, the serious demeanor is not ego; it's command presence. It's crucial to being an effective officer. So please don't get that confused with the de-escalator. And then lastly, myth four: Police don't care how the public pre- perceives them. Police officers actually. Uh, they want the citizens that they protect to have a positive view of their work uh, and they know that they want them to have their backs as well it means that they'll be safer citizens will be safer everybody will be happier and they can do their jobs more effectively so that said any uh, any comments on that yeah Chief Newman go ahead you've got roughly 30 seconds or so
3: oh thanks hey look what I thought what I took most out of that article was you know law enfor- people think they know what law enforcement goes through and I got to tell you they don't even if it's not a, a something horrific like a, a homicide or, or something that's gonna stay with you, the, the daily beating of seeing people at the worst, doing their worst, acting their worst, really is something you can't appreciate. You could take them out to Citizens' Academies and all that, but the bottom line, people are gonna look at our profession through their middle-class lens, through their academic lens through their you know whatever it is and they're never going to experience exactly what we okay, saw okay. appreciate we- it
0: anyhow we got to go guys for another commercial break so just hang in there guys we'll be right back mm-hmm. all right guys welcome back hey um want to ta- take this moment to talk to you guys about our radio on our podcast you know we're syndicated of, through five radio stations through the Boss Hog Radio Network now. They are in Bushnell, the Lakeland Plant City area, Winter Haven, and also Avon Park. Um, So 1170 AM in Bushnell, 1330 AM in the Lakeland Plant City area, 1360 AM Winter Haven, and then 1390 AM in Avon Park, and also 107.5 FM. And we're also syndicated five days a week through the Cutting Edge uh, Radio Network, and on their network, it's Good Talk Radio. So we have links to all this, you know, on our YouTube channels. Underneath the videos, you can get more information on these. So uh, please check it out, support Boss Hog Radio. In fact, as you drive uh, east of Tampa, you can pick it up Locally, if not, they are on the Internet as well. Thanks, guys.